Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing, relations, evangelism, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Yorgopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, I welcome a guest from the developer marketing world. We talk about best practices, challenges, lessons learned, and share insights, data, and experiences to help you boost your devrel game, talk to, and engage with developers. This podcast is brought to you by Slash Data, the leading analyst of the developer economy, and devrelx.com, a hub devoted to providing resources for developer marketing professionals, including developer ecosystem trends, news and job openings, webinars, a book, and a bi-weekly digest you can subscribe to. Access them all at devrelx.com. Welcome to a new episode of Under the Hood of Developer Marketing. I'm Stathis, your host. Today, I'm happy to share with you a very special episode, a bit different from our usual format. On September 29 and 30, the Future Developer Summit, a traditionally exclusive event, opened its virtual doors to the DevRel community for a free event that everyone could attend. One of the sessions was a panel discussion on how to step up your DevRel game, where developer relations professionals shared their pro tips with everyone, including you, as you're about to listen to their discussion. These pros were Catherine Miller, who is the global lead on the Cloud Developer Events program at Google, Leandro Margulis, who is the Vice President of Developer Relations at Unify ID, and Pablo Frail, who is the Director of Developer Ecosystems at ARM. The panel was moderated by Richard Muir, our data journalist here at Slash Data. What else do these people have in common except talking to this panel? They have all authored chapters to the Developer Marketing and Relations, The Essential Guide, which has just launched its third edition with nine new and one revised chapters compared to the first edition. You can find more about the book at devralx.com book. Don't worry that you missed the event. All sessions will be soon available to watch on demand. Visit futuredeveloper.io for more details. Which one is the right one? Yeah? So I, I see Catherine is also here. Oh, Paul is here. Oh, Leandro. Hey, yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. All right. Okay, I think I see everyone is in relative position. And well, let's get started then. Well, welcome back, everyone. Or if you are just joining, I am Moskula, head of client relations here at Slash Data the premier developer analyst firm, of course, <laughs> and host of today's events. Super next session coming up. Uh, we've gathered three, well, now it's four authors from the Developer Marketing and Relations, the Essential Guide book for a panel. How to step up your DevRel game, moderated by our very own data journalist with the mostest, Richard Muir. If you don't know Rich, you will know him soon, mostly because he's taking over now. So, Rich, if you're all set up, I'll let uh, pass everything on to you. Thank you for the introduction, Muscular. Um, hopefully, I can follow that as the moderator with the mostest. Um, so, today um, in this panelist talk, we're joined by Catherine Miller, who's the global lead for cloud developer events at Google, Leandro Margulis, who's the VP developer relations at Unify D, um, Pablo Fraile, who's the director of developer, developer ecosystems at Arm. Um, each of these people has a wealth of experience across all aspects of developer relations, and we're really lucky to have them here today to share some of their expert expertise, their experience, and maybe even some of their favorite resources that they've found from working in developer relations. 
But what's more is that each of these panelists has also contributed to a chapter um, of the Developer Marketing and Relations book, uh, which is on its third edition now. And we've added 10 new chapters since the first. Um, and recently, we also added a new chapter on how to use KPIs in developer relations. So this book is, you know, it, it, it's a the combined effort of 24 authors from 17 industry-leading companies. And we really view it as being the go-to book for anybody involved in or anybody who wants to get involved in developer relations. All the profits from the sale of the book go to Coder Dojo, Code.org, Girls Who Code, and Black Girls Code. And, you know, we've raised more than £7,000 uh, for these charities through, um, through the book. So it's available in print as an e-book, and so far there's around 1,500 books sitting on desks and e-readers around the world. So if you want to add to this number, you could win a copy by being active in the event community today and tomorrow. Before we begin and move on to the questions, um, I'll let the panelists introduce themselves. Um, so Catherine, would you like to start? Could you tell us a bit about yourself, your experience in DevRel, and uh, your experiences writing the book? Um, did you learn anything from putting your chapter together? Absolutely. It's lovely to meet all of you and see many of you virtually again. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm coming up on 15 years at Google with eight of those being within our developer marketing and developer relations space. I've spent the last four years leading the, uh, the developer events program within the Google Cloud organization and contributed a chapter in the original edition on developer events. I think the most meaningful part of writing the chapter was really being able to reflect upon um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything that we had succeeded at, everything that we had struggled and learned from, and to really be able to pull it together and share it with all of you, particularly when it comes to thinking about both bringing diversity and inclusivity into events, as well as how we really match the data that says events programs aren't necessarily what developers value the most, and yet the same time is something that we as organizations heavily skew towards. And so how do we reconcile those two things and really build events as meaningful programs that connect developers to the information that they need? Thank you. Yeah. And of course, that's especially salient what with all of this going on right now and, you know, in a virtual event for the first time for FDS. So, yeah, it's especially salient. Um, Pablo, could you, could you talk a bit about your experience and, you know, experience writing the book and more in DevRel as well, please? Yeah, sure. Yeah, my name is Pablo Frail. I work in um, in ARM. I'm the director of develop, developer ecosystems in uh, in our mobile uh, business unit. I've been doing this job for four years. So I I wrote the first also same as uh, Catherine, same uh, in the in the original uh, in the original book, and um, I was only two years into the job. Um, so I've learned quite a lot since I wrote that first chapter, uh, and and uh, that means. The text I wrote was about building partnerships and leveraging those partnerships to to reach developers, and I think um, all of that is still, um, you know, incredibly relevant. I was talking to someone the other day about how partnerships are becoming one of the foundations of of doing business these days. You don't no longer have customers and suppliers, but you also have lots of different partners, and and building that into a developer uh, developer relations program is super important. Uh, you need to treat all of your uh, developers, uh, evangelists as as partners. Uh, they they want you to succeed. You want them to succeed. So that's uh, that's a really important part of uh, of the work we do in ARM, and that's one of the things. Uh, that's some of the things I covered in the in that in that chapter in the book. Thank you very much, Pablo. Yeah, Andre, would you like to introduce yourself? 
Happy to. So, hi everybody. Uh, as Catherine said, good to meet all of you and also see some faces that uh, I recognize. So, super excited to uh, to see some of you again, even in two dimensions, audio and video. Yeah. So, I I basically have a business development and partnership background. I'm originally from Argentina. In case you were wondering where my name and accent is from, and it, you know it, that actually uh, both things ended up being very important in the sense of. When I was, I kind of stumbled upon and got into uh, developer relations uh, about three years ago. Uh, the last two years, I was actually the VP of developer relations at TomTom. And a lot of what I write about in the, in the book is about that experience. But also uh, this year, in the middle of the pandemic, I actually joined uh, Unify ID uh, as their VP of developer relations. And the reality is that a lot of companies are moving towards, as the world moves towards APIs, a lot of companies need more of a, a developer outreach and a developer engagement strategies. So uh, that has been uh, very interesting to see. Uh, the reason I decided to write that chapter for the book is I, I found the essential guide super helpful. I saw that there was an opportunity to talk more about building inclusive developer communities. And, you know, I'll talk, you know, there's a lot more detail in, in the book, but, you know, coming from Latin America, for example, we all have much longer names. You know, in terms of not only a first name and a last name, uh, you know, we have a middle name. In some places in Latin America, people use also not, not their first, uh, only one last name, but the two last names. And so sometimes if you're even creating the sign up for uh, your, your, your developer portal or your solutions, uh, you need to keep inclusivity into consideration. There's a lot of places where people don't even use a last name. And being able to take that into consideration in your journeys is super helpful to build an inclusive developer community. Great, thank you, Leandro. That's yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting view, and it's sometimes it's just the simplest things that can open the door and make people feel welcome. I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot more that we could discuss here. So I'm going to move on to um, the first question now. And for any audience members who would like to post any questions, I've got the chat window open here, so I will pass them on to the panelists. And so I'd like to start just you know to um, you know to continue there with with this topic, Leandro, um, about inclusivity and diversity. Like, how do you make sure that your community is inclusive and diverse? Like, you know, you mentioned um, easing the sign-up process, um, you know, for people's kind of names or um, I mean, that way. But could you just talk a bit more widely about, um, like, more general tactics that people can use? Happy to. And, um, you know, it was really nice to be able to think about it and structure everything in, in, in the book chapter. But what I can tell you is the, who is a developer, the role of the developer is evolving and who is a developer is evolving, right? Especially in the middle of a pandemic, we also have people in their second or third career becoming developers. Uh, we have uh, developers of different levels and we have developers with different uh, level of coding experience and coding ability. And we wanna make sure that everybody feels welcome because as also the role of the developer is evolving into choosing which technologies are gonna be used to, for a solution, you wanna make sure that your technology is accessible, approachable and top of mind. So, you need to start from the beginning. Uh, and you know, in, in terms of what is the beginning, one of the first things that I thought about is the developer personas, right? I mean, we have a great chapter, you know, one of the first chapters of the book uh, is all about developer personas. Let's make sure that we're inclusive in those developer personas and we understand who is a developer has evolved and is evolving and, and how it keeps evolving. That, 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 that's to start. But then also making sure that the developers feel welcome in the portal and communities you're, you're enabling. Uh, one of the things I learned a lot from is the evolution of Stack Overflow and you know, the gamification 
uh, of certain things uh, and also making sure that, uh, you know, people are kind and, uh, you know, people feel welcome. So one of the things that we, that, that, that we put together is also an early adopter badge uh, when you start uh, getting into, into your community. Why that is important? First of all, it incentivizes somebody to join and welcomes them, and it shows others that the person is in, in, you know, just starting their contribution to the community. So for them to make sure that they're, they're kind of welcoming to that person as well. So those are kind of some little things uh, to keep in mind as you're building a community and making sure that everybody feels welcome. Great, thank you. That's really useful. Catherine or Pablo, do you have any um, any views on this? I think b- building an inclusive community really starts by, as, as Andrew says, building a kind and respectful and, and uh, humane community, right? If you don't tolerate the kind of behavior that puts people off from contributing, then you're going to have all sorts of people coming in and feeling feeling comfortable, feeling welcome. And that's I think that's really important. And, and to be honest, it's one of the first foundational blocks of, of you know building a community, establishing some some ground rules that let people know what's allowed and what's not allowed, what's a you know welcome contribution and what isn't. And and you start there. And then I think as, you, as long as you maintain that spirit in the community, and obviously the, the the bigger the community is, in arm for bigger, you know, for good or bad, our community isn't, isn't huge. We don't have a community the same size as you know Google could have, uh, but we feel like everyone who is part of the arm developer community is feels welcome, feels uh, feels, feels included, feels respected, and yeah, and I think that's uh, that's something that really really we really value very seriously. I I would agree with everything that's been shared. And I think the way that we've brought it forward and modeled it through event activities is also how can we make sure that we're bringing the spirit of inclusivity forward when we think about speakers, when we think about staff, when we think about spaces, and to the point about really being thoughtful around names, how can people present themselves, whether it be a simple act of a sticker with pronouns so people can be addressed authentically. Things like that may seem simple and straightforward, and yet they really do carry forward immense power in ensuring that people can be addressed as their authentic selves and be represented there. And that the folks who are putting on the event and staffing the event and speaking at the event also are reflective of the community that they wish to be building. Yeah, thank you. That's really powerful. You know, I feel that traditionally developer relations communities are built and maintained online, but moving into the physical space, that the inclusivity and the acceptance becomes even more important and even more easy to demonstrate as well, um, you know, in that, in that face-to-face. I think, you know, on, like, on this topic of kind of face-to-face communication and speaking to individuals, is Pablo, you mentioned um, in your introduction that ARM's approach to developing partnerships, developers and, and with other vendors is, is uh, you know, one of the keys to your success. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that for us, please? So, as I said earlier, ARM is, is uh, as a company. We, we don't really have a huge developer community. We not we don't have a platform uh, as such as you know other companies may have. So, we find that to build credibility, to build uh, a solid community, to build a, to, to nurture the community, one of our best uh, bets is to work with our partners uh, in the industry and leverage their presence as, as well as ours. Um, and we, we found that that's been a really helpful way of, of connecting with uh, with developers of all, all sizes. And I think um, one of the things that we, we've been doing is try to, to you know, um, either working through events or 
communications, blogs, uh, you know, even even some cases, you know, source contributions, we find that the best way to build credibility is to work with um, with, with with our partners. And, and and again, when I say partners, I mean um, in some cases our customers, but in many cases people, you know, partnership a partner is, is someone who engages in an activity with you. So anyone who who works with us can become uh, one of our partners. And we in in, in my field where I, I work very closely with people like game developers, uh, game uh, engines, studios, publishers, that, that sort of industry, um, we we work really hard to build strong connections with them through technical collaborations, through uh, communications, or say developer education, developer marketing, and those those activities build a really strong sense of credibility because um, because in, in some cases just being, being completely honest brand it carries a lot of uh, of, of uh, equity so you work with a really strong company your their brand and your brand sort of multiply their effects I think that's really important when it comes to you know as, as I said big big companies big studios big publishers but also individuals I think there are some individual developers who are really empowered to give their opinions, give very strong opinions and feel very valued in the in the developer community. So for from from our point of view, when I work with when I look for partners, I don't just look for the right really big publishers or, or but sometimes individuals with a very strong voice who can deliver a message are super important. They have large followers in Twitter, they uh, they sway opinions, uh, they introduce new um, developers to, to key concepts, to key ideas. So I think working with um, understanding what you're trying to achieve and the strong understanding how the other party of the partnership can benefit as well as yourself and building activities that help both parts of the partnership. That's what the job is all about. And, and, and I really love it. Yeah, because these people can become force multipliers, right? If you pick the right people. There's, you know, they can, they can really, really make a big difference. Um, you know, I know Google's got one of the, you know, got maybe the largest developer program in the world. Like, how do you make partnerships in this huge pool of developers, Catherine? How do you reach out to them and, and you know, select those developers that are going to move the needle for you? That's an excellent question. I think it's a combination of processes, really depending on what the intention is, because we have everything from the broad developer community and that's where we're really working with the regional leads and program managers to identify leads within those communities and members of those communities that have incredibly compelling stories, really grassroots from the bottom up, showing the power of getting this technology into the hands of individuals and the things that they're really creating for their communities and their local economies all the way up to working really closely with business development teams and working with our partner advocacy team, where we've identified higher touch, more strategic partners, probably more of the brand names that we would recognize, where it's more of a cultivated one-to-one or one-to-few relationship, where we would have them in early adopter programs, working hand-in-hand with them as trusted testers, and then finding the right ways to bring their stories forward. Yeah, so it seems that like that, you know, that one to few relationship here is key. And um, I was asking Leander if he has got any experience in this um, from his time at TomTom or Unify D. Uh, the reality is that 
you can have a developer in a different, the same developer in different contexts, wearing different hats, right? I mean, a student or a hobbyist, uh, maybe working on a project and later on start their own startup or, or join a startup or join a big enterprise company and be able to be, uh, and be aware of your, of your product. And that's basically what we want. We want to make sure that we are a partner are through the developer journey, through their own career development, give them the tools for them to succeed uh, and make sure that we're there for them. So by building, and the reality is that each developer uh, has a very important, a different and very important role to play in your community. I mean, from being very active in your community and in a way helping others in the community and elevating everybody uh, in terms of using uh, your solutions to actually, uh, you know, eventually becoming a paying customer. So, uh, I mean, and everybody is important uh, in that journey. So as you're thinking about the journey that your developers go through, and I keep saying the world journey, I know, but it's important to, uh, it's important to welcome everybody at whatever stage of that journey they are so they can grow with you. And it has been very rewarding to see how somebody starts with a project uh, in school and eventually joins that startup and then brings you with them. And eventually uh, they join a big company and they bring you with them. And that has been a very rewarding experience for the developer relations teams I've been part of. Yeah, that sounds incredible. You know, you get to see the journey from start to finish. You get to grow with this person and watch them grow and change. Yeah, it sounds, you know, like that could be one of the best bits of the job, I think. And we, and we grow with them, right? I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. it's elevating each other. It's a virtuous circle, so it's amazing. Great. Yeah, thank you for showing that, Leandro. That's really interesting. Um, I'm going to change tack slightly here. Um, so we've got a question in the chat um, um, around um, DevRel budgets in the age of COVID and no travel and no in-real-life events. So that you know segues quite nicely into a question for you, Catherine, around events. Um, and just, you know, um, on this topic, how do you facilitate meaningful connections at an online event? I think that that's an excellent question, and I'm and I'm also happy to address that second piece of it as well, which is really around the budget and planning piece. Uh, uh, Leandro, actually, I, I loved that you kept mentioning the word journey being in the middle of 2021 planning. That's really something that we're thinking about extensively is, and, and moves really nicely into the event, is who are the target audiences for programs? What's the intentionality? What's the journey that they all go on? So, so it really resonated with me. So I'm excited that you shared that. It was a beautiful segue into mine. So when we think about the most successful moments we've had connecting in this virtual world, the most important thing has been really thinking about focus and intention and really being time-based. The thing that we've really lost in not being in person is as much as events become more accessible and equitable being online, we lose that forcing function of, I am away from my desk, I am away from my family. And, and even today, I think about how I'm squeezing in three different events in between meetings. And so that focus isn't there. And so in creating the connections, the moments that have been most successful have been when there's a very, very clear purpose coming out of it, and that's clearly communicated to the audience. When there is that element of real human interactivity, and it's at a, at, at a very specific point in time. And the three examples are what we're actually doing right now, which is live Q&A. And there are a number of different ways to do it, whether it be text-based or whether it would be bringing people onto the camera and asking the questions face-to-face. 
And while it isn't that same interaction you would have with somebody standing up at a microphone in front of a session, it does give the audience that sense of folks are listening to what they are curious about and answering those questions. The second thing that we found with some degree of success has transitioned from physical to digital is one-on-one appointments with events, being able to book time with an expert. There are the challenges with that and ensuring that the folks who are booking the appointments, um, that there's some degree of moderation and focus. And so it's not folks dialing in, asking how they can get jobs at companies. But we have found that because it is time-based and it's with an expert who can answer specific questions, that there is still engagement with that. That has moved from physical to digital. And then the final thing is, which for anyone thinking about KPIs and leads is probably a frustration point, but where developers have connected the most is actually through chat rooms. Um, We've sponsored a number of events that have provided us with Slack channels and attendees go to those events because they know that they're going to connect with experts from within their community. And they find those experts on a platform that they're already familiar with. And so some of the most robust and meaningful conversations that we've had with our developers through this time has been with Slack channels provided through event sponsorships. Great. Thank you for that, Catherine. Is is there anything, Leander or Pablo, that you'd like to add to this conversation around you know, connecting events. Um, I don't know your experience with running events, um, but, you know, I'm sure you've attended a few. Um, what's worked for you? We are just about to run our first um, our first developer event um, next week, Arm Dev Summit. And this is a, an evolution from an event we used to run in, in San Jose called Dev, uh, TechCom. So we transitioned to a developer focus uh, at the same time with, you know, with the whole pandemic um, situation, which has been quite an interesting journey uh, again. And what we we're finding is, as, as as Catherine says, these online events don't provide the same kind of experience. But uh, I, I compare it, you know, with um, watering the garden with a hose or with a, with a watering can. Uh, the, the watering can it can deliver the same amount of water, but you can spread it much more widely, right? And this is what uh, the, these sort of events, um, digital events, can do. I think you can really reach a lot more people perhaps it's not as intense as the as the as the host would be um for for anyone in particular but at the same time we we have the num the number of registrations we have is a lot higher than it would have been on a physical event the number of uh, interactions we can have is a lot higher the the, the broad the you know the, the range of people uh, that you that we are connecting with from all over the world is, um, you know, it's super important reaching to people that we perhaps we wouldn't have otherwise. And um, and I think that's really valuable as well. And, and you know, we're finding not just with um, events, but throughout the, the whole pandemic situation, we are much easier, you know, it's much easier to connect with people remotely through this kind of environments than it would be in a face-to-face basis. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Pablo. That's, that's Thank you. Yeah, just as we move into the last two minutes here, yeah. um, Leander, is there anything quick you'd like to add to this uh, before before very we wrap quickly, up? Very quickly, very quickly. Like from an inclusion perspective, not everybody could travel to you know San Francisco, San Jose, Silicon Valley for an event. So I think now we can be a lot more inclusive uh, in terms of uh, who can who can attend these events and actually you know even though it's not the same uh, intensity and everything, but you know we can be a lot more inclusive in terms of sharing the message. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, is, you know, the forced shift of these online events immediately makes events more inclusive in that way without, without really having to try. And there are steps we can take, you know, within this, this online event space 
to make it conclusive in that. But yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Thank you for that. There is one question um, in the Q&A here. Um, and this is a question from Andreas. Um, and he is asking, um, have you, uh, specifically for Pablo, what reactions have you seen from the dev community with the NVIDIA acquisition? No thing in particular. I think there's a lot of expectation, obviously, as you can imagine. But um, not much I can really comment on. I think we're all we're all excited and expecting. Yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's a really exciting time, I'm sure. That brings us to the end of this of this discussion. Thank you all so much for your candor and for and for, you know you know really thinking about this and really giving some some great and interesting answers. It's been it's been a pleasure to to talk to you and and um, and to meet you all. Uh, and I'm sure I'll see you later on in the event. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. thanks everyone. Thank Great you. seeing all of you again. Bye.